Hi, everybody. This is Jimmy DeYoung. Thanks for taking a moment to join us as we take a look at the book. We're going to be studying about what is going to happen soon after the rapture of the church during the seven-year tribulation period. I have in my hand a copy of a five-hour audio study on CD entitled Clear and Present Danger. In other words, what is happening in our world, warning signs of the dangers that lie ahead for this world. And we need to think about these things together. We're coming to our third installment of this particular study, and it's entitled Preparations for Ecclesiastical Babylon. Now, I said this happens soon after the rapture of the church, so this is a must. If we can see this coming into position to be fulfilled, then we are quickly approaching the time of the rapture of the church. What is ecclesiastical Babylon? Well, that's what I'm going to be teaching here. So if you can take just a moment, we'll listen together to installment number three of a series entitled Clear and Present Danger, and this one, Preparations for Ecclesiastical Babylon. Let's listen, and I'll be back to tell you how you can get your copy of this series. Well, this would come to an end because the Babylonian Empire, as Jeremiah predicted in chapter 11 and verse uh, 20, excuse me, chapter 29, verse 11, and chapter 25, verse 10, he predicted that the 70 years of judgment upon the Jewish people in Babylon would culminate with the return of the Jews back into the land. And so they would enter the land in 539 B.C., the fall of the Babylonian Empire, and 50,000 Jews under Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel selecting these Jews by the direction of Cyrus, who was a fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. Go back into Jerusalem. It takes them a number of years, 25 years, I believe it is, to rebuild the temple. And the temple is rebuilt. What happens to this religiosity that was established at Babylon? It moves its headquarters from the literal city of Babylon to another location. And this mother-son cult's headquarters is now moved to a city called Pergamos, one of the seven cities of Asia Minor that John the Revelator would uh, continue a message from Jesus Christ And in Pergamos, if you've ever been to Pergamos, you would recognize immediately. Judy and I were recently there. We were doing some television for Day of Discovery, produced a series on the letters to the seven churches of Asia Minor, having visited Patmos and then to the seven church locations. In Pergamos, it is evident that what would take place was a continuation of this mother-son cult. And it was in Pergamos where the Roman emperors became deity. They were deified, not only as Caesar, the name meaning emperor, but they would become the religious leader as they were deified and made gods. I could show you the remains of the statues in Pergamos. At the foot of these statues, engraved in the statue, they gave them a title. Caesar was their political title. Their religious title, Pontifus Maximus. And on those statues, Pontifus, declared Pontifus Maximus, which means major keeper of the bridge. 
talking about the bridge from this life into eternal life, quote, quote. And, and by the way, they set up a religious structure. Their clothing would be purple and scarlet. They would wear a fish-shaped hat. Now, this is in 525 B.C. A fish-shaped hat. And they would have on it Pontifus Maximus. And as they continued on in the time of the Roman era, this would be appropriated by these Roman leaders, and they would take this title that was given to that false religiosity at Pergamus, and Pontifus Maximus would be on their head. They thought that was too long, so they would shorten that to Pontiff, and then that was really too long a title, and they finally shortened it to Pope. And wearing their scarlet and purple outfits, they would carry a chalice of blood, chalice filled with blood, and they would carry a cross made out of diamonds and pearls. They would have a convent of virgins. This is when the Romans at Pergamus, these Roman emperors, took on this religious title as they had been deified. And that would continue on until the headquarters would be moved to another city. Now, having given that background to you, go with me quickly over to book of Revelation chapter 17 again. Revelation chapter 17. And let me show you the prophetic scenario that is going to unfold in the preparations for ecclesiastical Babylon. Verse 1 of chapter 17. And there came one of seven angels, which had the seven vials, and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, and I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters. That word whore, used first in verse 1. Now look at verse 15. It's used again. And he saith unto me, The waters which thou sawest, where the whore sitteth, are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. So therefore we see an understanding, much better understanding of the word whore and also the waters upon which she was sitting. This is apocalyptic literature, let me remind you. Apocalyptic coming from the Greek word apocalypsis, which means to foretell, uh, to tell the future, uh, prophetic utterance, uh, mysteries revealed, etc. Apocalyptic literature, there are four books in the Bible, apocalyptic, the book of Daniel, the book of Ezekiel, the book of Zechariah, and the book of Revelation. How do you interpret apocalyptic? Well, what apocalyptic literature does, let me tell you that first, it will use a symbol to convey an absolute truth. It is not an allegory. It is not a fairy tale. It would use a symbol to convey an absolute truth. I give you just a quick example. Do you remember Ezekiel chapter 37 and the valley of dry bones? In verse 7 of Ezekiel 37, it says the bones come together. In verse 8, it says flesh covers these bones that had been joined together. In verses 9 and 10, it says the breath of life is breathed into them as Ezekiel preaches to the wind. And these flesh-covered bones with this breath of life breathed into them stand up like a mighty army. Now, that is a three-part prophecy. The bones coming together would be the regathering. Uh, the flesh on the bones would be the restoration, and the breath of life would be regeneration. How do I know that of the Jewish people I'm talking about? Because we've gone through verse 10 of chapter 37. In chapter 11 of Ezekiel 37, it says, and these bones are the whole house of Israel. And so the principle is established. How do you interpret apocalyptic literature? You interpret apocalyptic literature with additional 
information will help you understand. And so it is now you make that same application here. And we read that this whore, and then we find out is on the waters, and the waters are nations and tongues and peoples and kindreds. And that basically referring to the Gentile world, that phrase most of the time referring to the Gentile world. And then we continue to read about this whore. And and remember, um, again, let me just help you to understand uh, when it's talking about the whore, uh, the word whore used three times, the word woman used six times, nine, nine times talking about an unvirtuous woman. What does Paul relate to us that we are? We are the bride of Christ. Uh, the book of Revelation chapter 19, uh, we as the bride of Christ have our gowns prepared, our righteous deeds, for, so that we can go to the marriage ceremony and then to the marriage supper of the Lamb. We will be married to Jesus Christ. Thus, we are the bride of Christ. What is a pure, beautiful bride decked out in her white garments coming down the aisle represent? A virtuous woman, a virgin who is coming to present herself to her bridegroom. What's the opposite of a virtuous, a white gown clad uh, virgin woman coming t- down the aisle? A whore, a prostitute, an unvirtuous woman. And so the symbolism here defined as a false religiosity that is coming into existence. Verse 2, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Again, fornication. By the way, in the Bible, let me remind you, uh, we have interpreted fornication today. We say that adultery is any sexual relationship uh, between Uh, two married people that are not married to each other. We say fornication today is any adulterous relationship between two people who are not married, uh, and thus they commit fornication. Fornication in the Bible, if you'll study it pretty uh, deeply, you'll understand it is any sexual act that God does not allow for. And so we see that this whore is committing fornication. And thus the reason that she is defined as a whore. Verse 3, so he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast. The word beast here in Revelation 17 used eight times. In chapter 13, we see this apocalyptic literature interpretation, the beast being that individual known as the Antichrist. You have the beast the false prophet or the antichrist, the false prophet and Satan, the satanic trinity prevalent throughout the book of Revelation. So the beast here in chapter 17, the antichrist, and he will be upon, uh, uh, and and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet colored beast full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and 10 horns. Now the 10 horns will be defined by chapter 17 itself. Look at verse 12. And the 10 horns which thou sawest are the 10 kings which shall have received no kingdom as yet, but shall receive power as kings one hour with the beast. You'd have to refer back to the book of Daniel and you talk about the 10 horns, which would be uh, the revived Roman Empire. Again, uh, time restraints keep us from really digging in. I'm just trying to give you a quick introduction and a glimpse at what your appetite to study more deeply what we're studying. And then it talks about the seven heads. Look at verse 9. Verse 9, according to most 
conservative biblical scholarship says that verse 9 indicates a location and herein is and there and here is the mine which hath wisdom the seven heads are ten mountains upon which the woman sitteth the woman the false church the ten mountain city which is the location where that mother son cult and its progression from babylon to pergamos then at the fall of the roman empire 476 ad moved into the city of rome and established this mother son cult headquarters notice in verse 4 and the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication so you see the pattern that uh, that evolved in this progression of this mother-son cult coming out of babylon and all of the trappings it had with it now being talked about in a prophetic scenario for the end times of an ecclesiastical Babylon or a false church that is going to be established. Well, we come to a conclusion, and and I know I have not done justice in chapter 17. We should probably just spend the whole hour on chapter 17. But let me suggest to you, and many of you probably already have heard the teaching, that chapter 17 is the prophecy of a false church that will be established in the first three and a half years of the tribulation period, located in the city of Rome, Italy, and uh, their attire will be those fish-shaped hats with Pontifus Maximus upon it, upon it uh, the purple and the scarlet outfits, the chalice full of blood, and the cross made out of diamonds and pearls with a convent of virgins worshiping and serving those. There's going to be a destruction of that false church, and that is talked about in chapter uh, 17, verse 16. And those ten horns are that revived Roman Empire, which thou sawest upon the beast. These shall hate the whore, and shall make her desolate and naked, and shall eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. God is going to allow that to happen at the end of three and a half years. And he's going to allow evil men to accomplish his will. Look at verse 17. This is unbelievable. God uses human government to accomplish his will, whether they are saved or lost. For God hath put in their hearts to fulfill his will. The Antichrist then who has established this false church to receive the worship of the world in Rome will then make his way over to Jerusalem. And at the midway point of the tribulation, other passage of prophecy, uh, Daniel chapter 9, for example, in verse 27 says he goes in and he stops the sacrifice that is operating at the temple in the city of Jerusalem. Thus, a temple is established in Jerusalem. The Antichrist will go there to receive the worship. They'll put an image of him. In the temple, so the whole world was worshiping him. That's chapter 13 of Revelation. And from that point, then he departs from Jerusalem, making his way into political Babylon, literal Babylon, on the shores of the Euphrates River, some 68 miles southwest of modern-day Baghdad, to establish a one-world government. That is the prophetic scenario quickly presented to you of how the first three and a half years of the tribulation period will unfold. 
Thanks for taking a moment to join us right here as we've taken a look at the book. When we go to the Word of God, in particular the book of Revelation chapter 17, we can see everything coming together as we have been studying the preparations for ecclesiastical Babylon. It's happening faster than we can even report to you. In fact, what we talked about on this study, to some extent, has become old hat. There are events unfolding on a daily basis. You can go to our website and we'll keep you abreast of all of those current events. Our website address is prophecytoday.com. While you're there, by the way, why don't you go to our shopping mall and you'll find out how you can purchase your own copy of Clear and Present Danger. That's the study we've been going through today. It's a five-hour study on CD, and it will be available to you at our website. Or you can call our toll-free number, 877-674-3298, and our staff is standing by to take your order. Again, that number, 877-674-3298. It's a toll-free number from all across America. By the way, this study today, Preparations for Ecclesiastical Babylon, give us evidence that we are quickly approaching the time of the rapture of the church. And all I have left to say after making that statement and listening to our study is let's keep looking up until...